0: Hello, Lloyd. Uh, welcome to the Modern Wellness Podcast. Thank you so much for joining. I'm, I'm grateful that you've taken the time. So let's start off with you uh, giving an introduction of yourself, who you are, and what you do.
1: Um, my name is Lydie Angelus, as you've said before. Um, I'm, I'm a psychic and I'm a, I'm a storyteller. I'm a professional storyteller and I've been in print since 1987. I just had my 14th book released now and I've been reading tarot now for 40 years.
0: Okay. Wow. So yeah, yeah, that's, that's quite a long time for both and quite a lot of books as well.
1: It's a long time here.
0: Yeah. Um, Is there a link then between uh, tarot and the books that you write in terms of philosophy or ideology?
1: No. Um, Yes and no that you asked hard questions you're recording this okay you ask hard yeah. questions because um nothing's distinctly separate you one one can't separate them up
2: sure
1: okay so it took me until 2007 it took me <clears throat> from when i was 28 when i started reading professionally until 2007 to write my first book on tarot and it was a book i thought i'd never write and i'll explain why that the tarot one card Like I work with 78 cards in a pack. I'll backtrack. Those 78 cards in the pack, when infant Earth was formed, were part of a one cell creature where I was, where you were, where where wolves were. And over a period of several billion years, as you know, what we've done is separate out out into diversification and separation and divided, if you like, for love's sake, on the chance of union, which is the way I like to think of tarot. So you've had since the theoretical big bang to be able to formulate all the ways you possibly could to experience living well, and that includes trauma because life doesn't mind whether life is, whether you experience trauma or whether how you live or how you die as long as it's interesting. That's the main thing. So it's it's the it's a vibrancy or the excite the excitement of life that is what tarot is all about. So um, it foretells the future, plain and simple, because the future, like the idea of the Big Bang, is both particle and wave. Did you get me?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So
1: light is both particle and wave. Our experiences have already happened, but we have to walk into them. We walk into them. Now, with each experience that we have, you hit, what's, you hit a crossroads where you have a choice how you want to do the next bit. But we think those choices are free will. But when we look retrospectively at what we've chosen to do, there was never any other way to go. And I've had people sit... In attempting to explain this, I've had people sitting opposite me and they say, well, I... I could have not come, and I said, rubbish. I said, and they say, why is it rubbish? I said, could you hear? And they said, any time I could have changed my mind. I said, but you didn't. So this is destiny that you're here. You were always going to be here. You've been going to be here, sitting opposite me since the so-called theoretical big bang or the singularity or whatever else you want to call it. So this is actually what happens: that so a person who meets me at my gate usually hugs me, there's a body connection. And it's not that I'm overly lovey dovey, I'm not. But that's what happens and it's an unbridledly beautiful thing. So I maintain and I think of these things retrospectively, honestly. I maintain that when we touch bodies, that ninety percent of bacteria that I've got, that ninety percent of bacteria that you've got has a conversation over billions and billions of bacteria years. Do you get me?
2: So by the time
1: we sit down at the table and those 78 cards come out, that person shuffles, but like a pianist who can play a Rachmaninoff piece. If they looked at the keys, they couldn't play it. So they've got all the knowledge of the, every possibility of those 78 cards into interwe- into interweaving into patterns beyond belief they've got every possibility of those patterns and they form them into shapes that they want me to interpret
2: mm-hmm.
1: so the three of us are almost like one thing do you get me yeah there's you there's me and then there's a tarot and then there's the way we work between us now i never knew this when i started and when I wrote the tarot book Tarot Theory in Practice in 2007, which came out in America, and I'm just about to rewrite it again because it's so boring, honestly. <laughs> um, and I thought I'd never write it, like I say, because things are changing all the time. So when I wrote that, I didn't even know what I know now. You get Okay, me? yeah. Okay, okay. And I knew certain things, but then they, they don't really have relevance until they happen like the Ten of Swords death card doesn't have relevance until that girl's murdered down the road, you a y- y- and then it has relevance. And I have three or four people in a row that have got the Ten of Swords death card turning up in their cards. And I, I say, well, there's a murder. And they go, is it me? And I go, I don't know. And they go, well, why is it here? And I said, I don't know. And then the person gets murdered and then they both end up going to the vigil. And they meet up and they go, one of them will get on the phone to me and go, lie, this is the, the tennis car. That's the murder. And I go, duh. And there's nothing one can do to stop it. But there's how you deal with destiny when it happens. You know, no. that's that's the beauty. That's the creativity that comes from this kind of work. Yeah. But there's there, it's nothing... Esoteric. I mean, it is. It's terribly, terribly mystical. But it's 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 not about reading an aura or talking about a past life or anything like that. At the same time, I've had a person. I'll throw out their cards and I go. Your life is so fucked up. And the person will go, "Thank goodness somebody can see it." And we've just met, you see, and I don't know that person, but they've shown me this. They've just like exposed themselves to me and I can read it and it can be awful. They're being brutalized and some total stranger can see that without them saying a word. And it kind of takes the pressure off, you know, for them as well as anybody else. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Okay.
0: Okay. Right. Well, you've just opened a big can of worms right there straight off the bat. (laughs) (laughs) So, I had this plan for for where we're going to ask questions and kind of have this basic outline, but um, I feel like we kind of have to go into what you described as this metaphysical element of tarot. That you know, the the, the scientific aspect of it that it's not. Can we just,
1: say mystical? Can we say mystical, not metaphysical?
0: Yeah, mystical is great. I love mysticism.
2: Yeah, absolutely. yeah, because
1: metaphysical implies that nothing that there's something other than physical, and it's that's kind of like the word supernatural, isn't it?
0: perhaps i i think for me metaphysical well i mean there's i guess there's different interpretations i feel like there is a physical element to to metaphysical well, it's it's like the, the, the spirituality of science
1: well see i can't agree with you
0: okay well that, cool that's that? fair enough yeah
1: to me it's like what we we just don't know enough
2: yeah yeah and
1: then people i do and i'm a wordsmith i must admit so that i do listen and i'm very aware that words get in the way and a lot of religiosity has interfered with the words that we use and therefore our ability to communicate as a species, even though we may speak the the same language, we can be talking a whole lot of different things. Sure. Yeah. And that's that's disruptive.
0: And I'm I'm glad you said that we don't know enough because I, I was actually watching a video of Carl Sagan just a couple of days ago and he was talking about um He's talking about uh, traveling at the speed of light. Einstein talking about E equals MC squared and how we can't travel faster in the speed of light because that opens up the possibility that we can you know, go to turn on the light switch and the light switch is on before we've actually flicked the switch because we've traveled faster.
1: Yes, have you read Daryl Rennie?
0: No, I haven't, no.
1: Well, he's a molecular biologist and quantum physicist from New Zealand, basically saying the same thing. And I've been very interested in in this for a very long time. Um, Thought and light of, apparently travel at the same time. Okay. Because you can never catch your thoughts. Sure. Then you can never plan your thoughts and they're gone. So Darrell already maintained in, in the death of forever, which was the first book that he wrote. I've read three of his. Um, he maintained that thought and light are instantaneous and forever, but they're gone. You can't hold a thought. You think you can, but you can't. It just pass like...
0: Because when you're observing a thought, by the time you've observed it, it's already finished.
1: Well, you can't even observe a thought. You try it.
0: Okay, sure.
1: You can, you can ch- check the thought as it passes and grab hold of an emotion that you may have in connection with that thought. But that is a, a rationalization towards what you saw and what you felt momentarily that was instantaneous. And then you're hanging on to your concept of what you've got left over for that thought. Yeah. It's like the idea of the past. It's rubbish, isn't it?
0: It's gone. It's finished.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, no, no, no. It's it's not even gone and finished. It's just the idea of the past is rubbish because that's the idea exist. of linear, that's the idea of linear time and there is no such thing.
0: Okay. And so this is what, what I'm I'm getting towards, what you're talking about here is tarot exists in that timeless place where there is no past, present, future. Yeah, got it. Yeah.
2: Yeah, which is why well, there is no
1: time i mean i I spoke with bradley dowden when i wrote tarot theory in practice i thought i'll go into this a little bit and bradley dowden i, I can't remember the university he's in america and we had a long conversation i was allowed to sort of steal a bit of his his work but not that much and we have ages like that we have the age of, of white dwarfs for example mm-hmm. and we have ge- geological time and we have um uh ages but we don't have time like we invented that in connection with the idea of like a solar year or a lunar year we invented all that and we invented it so that we could have the idea of like this happened when I was 12 and this happened when I was 22 and really we're the same person and that 12 and 22 is just an idea of of the consequences of, of of getting of living long enough isn't it yeah we kind of way. so we have ages and past present and future is just absolutely an invention because it's forever now
0: which is uh you're, you're reminding of the movie interstellar i don't know if you you feel that's a, a tarot movie or right, it's definitely a movie about this concept about them being in this timeless place
1: we're it's we're in a timeless yeah. place and and we're in and unfortunately at the moment we're inventing concepts based on in my in my opinion abramatic thought and abramatic thought maintains that there's a beginning and an end and therefore we have this this social media problem around the idea of apocalypse <clears throat> or world ending or this ending and that ending and it's like it's just rubbish we have an ice age now that's also a rather interesting concept i mean i'll get back to tarot i suppose but you see you're sitting there aren't you yeah therefore because you're sitting there you've survived all the ice ages and all the glaciation periods that's a you've survived every fucking plague in in europe
2: sure yeah
1: that's do you know how many people died of the black plague in europe
0: yeah a lot yeah
1: do you know how many people died in Ireland from the, from the famine that was enforced by the butcher's apron?
0: A million died and another million left.
1: They're the ones that we know about. Yeah. But you made it. Yeah. So you either have extraordinarily good stock that was able to run away really, really well, um, or the idea of things being as tragic as, as they're written up to be is not necessarily so. Because even the way history is written, it could be considered to be a small segment of where an event took place. I mean, the idea of ice ages came about in the 1700s because of two Norwegian or were they Danish, or were they, they were, there were scientists, geologists who maintained their boulders were where they shouldn't be. And because the boulders were where they shouldn't be, we had to have had an ice age. And so ice ages are like, they're, they're, they're very much an invention and but nothing would have died off completely because we're here,
2: yeah, of come course. on I mean yeah.
1: the percentages the the idea or the percentages of that occurring in like hundreds to one, aren't they, or thousands or millions to one?
0: Well, I always feel like uh being born human is like winning the universal lottery, you know the chances sure. of it happen yeah,
1: the chances of it are just amazing, yeah. okay, but we're such a piddling little species anyway.
0: This is it's a great conversation. I'm really enjoying it. And it's, it's opening up so much about. Um,
1: but this is what tarot is because it's yeah, not exactly, yeah. the cards. Okay. Yeah. It's not the cards. It's every single unique person that that sits with me or that, well, that sits with me. Yeah. Every single unique person. And the so-called impossible things happen. So-called impossible things happen.
0: So you know. tell me, where does tarot fit in with karma and destiny?
1: Well, karma is a Hindu word. It's got nothing to do with me. Sure. And it is translated in many instances into the so-called West, which I don't like the term, which is based on the idea of Greece being such a big place. No offense to the Greek because they're fabulous. Um, but it's it's a word that means work. Yeah. And we that's all it means of,
0: a lot of misconceptions around what karma is
1: misconceptions around it. are yeah. based on the idea of right and wrong or sin. Yeah. It's rubbish, Which but I'm not Hindu. Is. I'm not Hindu. I'm a Celt. So yeah. I don't use that terminology. I don't borrow other people's terminology. I don't like it. Uh, there's another little can of worms, isn't it? Uh, misappropriation of, of so-called spiritual, ethical ideology. And they're good garments to wear because we think we've got none left. The Romans did a bloody good job, didn't they?
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I can't go there with this. Now, destiny, karma, no, rubbish. Anyway, we'll dispute that another time.
2: Sure.
1: Destiny, define the concept of destiny. You're born, you live, you die. Yeah. Yes, you have experiences in between. Mm Mm-hmm. Everything's destiny.
2: Okay, yeah.
0: But are we destined to have um is there a set pattern of, of things like for example in astrology, people say, Well, well, this is your chart, this is what's gonna happen. I know astrology is not the same as tarot, um, but for as a way of understanding this, um, is there a set set pattern to our life, set things that we're going to experience, or can we change that in advance if we okay. have if we're forewarned?
1: Okay, tar- astrology like numerology and like runic runes, etc., are oracular. Okay, they are, there's a difference. They're oracular, whereas tarot is divinatory. Tarot tells you what's going to happen. Okay. Okay. Now, I had a guy sitting opposite me in the September of 1987, and I said, because I talk in the present tense, I can remember because he's in my book, and they come back and tell me. When they come back and tell me, I remember. I said, you poor bastard, you've got nothing. And he got up and he walked out on me. He didn't pay me back my 25 bucks back in the day. He got up and he walked out because he had three quarters of a million dollars invested in the stock exchange. So a month later, when the 1987 crash came and he lost everything, he came back and he paid me my $25, apologized, and bled his cigarette off me. Okay. Mm -hmm. So was that 1987 financial crash going to happen always? Was it his destiny to lose that money? Of course it was. Yeah. Okay, I've got a tape in the other room in there. I've kept the tape. From about 1996, I think it was. And the tape is of a woman who's dead now. Her name was domini And this is quite a long story, so if you get bored, shut me up.
0: No, you telling away. It's already interesting. The, be-
1: the beginning of the tape says, boy, you've got a health problem like you wouldn't believe. You're on fire and then bang you through it. And then it progresses on to say, oh, this looks like this is a death in the family. No, it'll be you. And then it says, it talks about a woman falling off a cliff in India. It talks about an eight-year-old boy that three women who were sannyasins were going to be looking after in an attempt to keep them away from a very radical right-wing Christian family. It talked about them losing the court case. It talked about her going, she was in a band called Tane. He talked about her going to Sydney for all these tests and examinations. He talked about her going into the Department of Births, Deaths, and Marriages and feeling really pissed off about being there. At the end of the reading, she asked a question because I don't let people talk until they get to question time. It, it breaks my objectivity.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The first question she says, "Well, I live in Mullumbimby." The answer was, "You will be buried there." Now, it said these events of significance, this death is going to happen in the time of Gemini under a Virgo moon. So when the plane crashed, it tipped, it left the airfield in Tiagra and it tipped the top of the trees and it burst into a ball of flame that was described as a flower, like a chrysanthemum. And then they took a body to Sydney for the autopsy. And she went into the Department of Births and Marriages. But according to her, and the the first bit, by the way, yes, a friend of hers went to India on Puja. And she left her eight-year-old son with these three women. And yes, they had to fight. And and Damini was one of them. But yes, they had to fight the courts. And of course, the courts won. So they didn't get to keep custody of this child. Now, after the death thing, it keeps going. The events keep going to the point where she ends up falling in love with a guy from Greece and they end up living together there on one of the islands off Lesbos. She died in that plane crash. So I have no idea how to explain what happened later. Do you get me? Yeah. But but then I had people coming from all over to listen to the tape because they hadn't known, they hadn't heard it. One friend of mine, she's still a good friend, who was one of the women who was looking after the child. She said, I listened to the tape twice. We never heard that. I said, but it's there. She said, I know it's there. She said, I'm shocked. And she was crying. She, but she said, we didn't hear it. I didn't believe it was real. Okay. So tarot does talk literally, but it doesn't necessarily make sense. I ended up being the um, the prize of Lynn Franks when she came out from I'm a Celebrity, I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here was done in Australia for Britain before Mm. it ended up being done here. When she came out, when she was evicted, she asked if she could come and get a reading with me. Long story short, it said to her, you need to go back home to Mallorca and diversify your blue chips. This was in the warning spread. And she said, why? I said, because we're going to have a financial crash in October 2008. So she went home and she diversified her blue chips and she put them into... Property, and then she let me know that I could have a bottle of champagne on her. So I don't drink alcohol. So these things are already set. Do you understand? Yeah. And I could give you a gazillion examples, but they're already they're already set. And then then so there's a connection between all this and what's happening. And and tarot will pick every world event that's of significance. It'll pick every, every person, the way a person's going to death, going to die. I had one guy, was it the November before last? The November before last. Um, and I can't give you the sequence of cards because that's giving it away. But I said to him, you'll be dead between the, between now and the next, the middle of next year. And he said, I know. And I said, have you got your, your nembutal?" And he said, yes. And then I put the cards aside and we had a conversation about what death is and what death isn't because he developed motor neuron disease. He'd taken about 20 doses of ayahuasca, which was not necessarily the problem, but in some people it can cause neurological dysfunctions. Okay. And motor neuron disease is a terrible way to die. Yeah. So he'd flown, he'd flown to Mexico to get his tablet. And parent, I heard retrospectively that he died in the following April or he'd taken his pill in the following April because otherwise he wouldn't have been able to breathe. So you tell me, is, what is this? Is this some woo-woo fancy, maybe type? What is it? It's, it you can't say it's a Dracula. It's not giving you any advice. But it can be extraordinarily loving at the same time.
0: But in those instances, you mentioned two people where Tarot did say, well, you said maybe your interpretation was for the first guy, you said, well, you've got nothing. Um, there's no maybe. Yeah. Whereas this girl, you said, well, go diversify your blue chips. Now she went and did that and she benefited from it. He, you know, got up and walked out because I, he, I, he I, okay, I, I did.
1: You didn't, you didn't hear me. I said one was warning spread. I said, but Lynn Franks, it was in her warning spread. Was in her
0: warning so spread. Okay. When I
1: do a, a reading, there's one spread only where somebody can do something about it. Okay. And that's called the warning spread.
0: Right. Okay. And
1: that's an event that I also ha- do call a stupid spread because people have come back and said, I didn't listen. So therefore I, was, I consider myself really stupid. I said, sure. Yes. Yeah. But the rest of it's going to happen okay. and usually literally.
0: So can you describe then the different kinds of spreads that you do? How does that work?
1: Oh, there's heaps. See what happens was it's like um, the first spread that I do would be, it's in three parts that I call the lack of a better expression present, future, and then past. Yeah. So a person will cut the cards into three packs and they'll lay them out, present, present, future, and past. And the present starts with today and it's the near future. And then the the future is to start with today and it just spreads out further. But it's like milk on a table spilling from the bowl, so to speak. And then I look back at the past, not with the idea of being a psychic voyeur, because I think that's rude. But with the idea of finding whatever is unresolved so that a person can then take that into, into account <clears throat> when they have experiences in the future, because people could take an incredible amount of bitterness. They can hold bitterness. They can hold a uh, false hope. They can do a lot of things. Okay. And these are personal references. So that, that becomes like a bell jar over the top of the events that are going to happen from then on. And then I do, what is it, seven or eight different spreads? And what I'm doing, I'm a hunter. So I'm hunting with these seventy-eight cards and the patterns they're in. I'm hunting for the way of things. I'm hunting that this is gonna happen. I'm hunting that's gonna happen. That's gonna happen, that's gonna happen. Okay. They say, Can I stop it from happening? I go, No. What you do about it is free will. Therefore, they have some sense that they're um, they're not trapped by an event, but the, the event will happen like, ah, uh, um, being in court, being in court, I had a guy up on murder charges years ago, um, knife fight. And I said to him, I can remember telling him he was going to get off, but I could see the murder. I could see the knife. It's going to be class murder, but you get off. And I also had red terror for his wife. Mm-hmm. Now, fast forward another 17 or so years. I've moved states. I'm no longer in Victoria. I'm living up in Byron Bay. And I end up with a a room of five cops. And they want to know if I've kept the diary, if I've I've kept the reading of the woman who's the wife of the man who was accused of the murder 17 years ago because they've opened the cold case. Now they can play around with DNA. And I go, here's my diaries. Go for it. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so they we we had a wonderful time.
2: Yeah,
1: I end up having all of them as clients. Okay. Yep. <clears throat> um. So, what was the question? What is it is destiny? Destiny. Yeah, everything's destiny. Everything's. It's all, Everything's going to happen. <clears throat> um. I remember getting one person, and she was about eighty-three or eighty-four years old. And I I knew she was going to write a book. It was all over cards. She was going to write a book. And then she said to me as a first question, she had her son with with her who's from one of the outer islands off the west coast of Britain, Wales, because she's almost blind. And and she said to me, her first question is, do you think we'll get published? The book's actually written. And they're going to come to you. They'll come hunting you. And retrospectively, because she came back a few years later, just before she died, <coughs> with her son. Hello, Robert, if you're out there. Um, and she'd gone to Melbourne, and she'd been approached by two publishing companies, and there was a bidding war. What I didn't know at the time, her name is Irina, I didn't know at the time that it was she was a, a ballerina who had escaped from Russia through the time of Nazi Germany gone across to America and then come to Australia and settled and then written the book about it. Okay. You see? Yeah. Okay. So there was a bidding war before she died at around 87 when she was blind as a bat, they made a movie out of it. Oh wow. Yeah. So these things will happen. I mean, what, what's the next question?
0: Um, the next, yes. Yeah. Um, so, I guess uh, where I'm looking at now is what do you feel uh, the particular benefits of, of tarot to an individual? Because knowing the destiny, um, only with the warning you say that you can actually change it. And I remember having a reading with you and that was one of the things, what, what's your question? And, and we, did a, a, um, we did a reading based on the question. So what, what do you feel in terms of what are the most benefits for an individual with tarot?
2: Is that too Um, big a
1: question? No, no, no. No, I can only speak personally. I can't speak for anybody else. And I don't know the benefits, the right word. Sincere compassion would be more to the point. I'm not going to lie to a person. I'm not going to make a thing seem easier than what it's going to be. And... I'm not going to use esoteric terminology. And I think it's very, very important from my point of view, who I teach and when I teach, it's very important that people are aware of the linguistics. They're aware of what they say, that they remove their own biases, religious, social, economic, gender, sexual, you name it, the, the work of, of someone like me is to lose that. And I teach people that they've got to lose it or I won't endorse them when I teach it. <clears throat> and compassion isn't a sweet thing. You know, a, a, a doctor comes up to a woman and he holds, he may hold her in his arms, but he may hold her at arm's length and he says, your child has leukemia and we'll do everything we can to make the transition easier. That's not going to stop the child dying. Mm-hmm. The, first, the doctor's not going to say, oh, I think there's hope. You see, there's this line, isn't there, between when you can be straightforward with a person and they can just, they can doubt me, they can hate me, I don't care, you know, I I don't care what they feel about me. It's what I feel towards you. Everything that you're going through is profound. You wouldn't be sitting with me. I get the oddly curious person, but very few curious people. And I get a lot of people coming for one thing, but that's not what I'm going to give them. I'm going to give them everything.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, so that they, they they can then sit back and get on with their lives and when, a, when an event occurs, they're going to go, oh, that was a surprise, okay? And it's, it's still a surprise. But the responsibility of a reader is to be, I, I think it's very receptive to change as well. Now I'm living in Melbourne, the majority of my clientele would be considered millennials. Okay. And... Out of the majority of millennials, the majority of those millennials are LGBTQI. So I've had to learn about what happens in a same-sex relationship. I've had to learn the processes that that happen when a person's going through gender reassignment. I could be lacking in compassion and not learn those things. How am I going to talk to somebody going through the process of gender reassignment if I don't know what experience those hormones are going to do to their body? So that the reader has to constantly study. Every single person sitting with me is my teacher. Simple as that. Okay. Okay. Their experience from the way they view their relationships to other people in loving, hating, Politically, in, in, economically, their experiences, everyone's unique. Do you understand? And so I can't really say, I can't bunch them together. Sure. But it is, an, it is a responsibility to be honest. And to be honest, one has to eradicate the, the, the stuff that we're forced fed as children and even young adults. We're force-fed by Disney. We're force-fed the idea that marriage is a good idea. We're force-fed a lot of things to do with spirituality that aren't real. You know, and then when people become lost and lonely and isolated and confused and their bodies stop working on them properly, they go, you betrayed me. Life betrayed me. It, it betrayed them. It, life didn't betray them. Lies betrayed them. Yeah. Fiction betrayed them. Ex- expectations of how to behave betrayed them. Expectations that they were going to be loved betrayed them. They don't know that there's an alternative to the the paradigm, the fixed paradigms of, of the way people are supposed to relate. And, yes, I do get the majority of people that come to me want to know that they're going to be loved. Mm-hmm. Do, do you know what happens when I say no?
0: Heartbreak. No, or the opposite. A sense of resolve.
1: We, that we take to pieces, the idea of love. I'll pick them up
2: because mm-hmm.
1: quite often they'll just cry. I'm there to pick them up, you know,
2: because yeah.
1: who else is going to pick them up? Somebody who's going to lie to them. Somebody's going to fool them. Someone's going to tell them it's going to be okay. Tomorrow. You know, it's, it becomes really difficult. I've had a, a, one of my clients has got a down syndrome son. I didn't know. I never know anything when I'm reading. I'm just this absolute idiot who sits there and doesn't know anything because that's, that's what objectivity is. Yeah. <clears throat> that person I can, they all come back to me and tell me that person's warning spirit. I said, your son's a stupid little asshole.
0: That's the she word. Went, yeah, yeah.
1: That was it. Cause I do. I swear a lot. Yeah. And, and she was like, yep, that's exactly it. Because it doesn't matter that he's a Down syndrome boy. He's 14 and he's an adolescent and he was misbehaving on her like you would not believe. Mm-hmm. So she was really glad to hear that somebody else agreed with her and that she didn't have to be politically correct and, and, and say, oh, he, my son has Down syndrome and therefore he's, allow, he's allowed to be like this. She didn't have to sort of, she could go, you're a bastard. you know she could just chill out and that's the thing also like in my room where I read tarot is I say to people and I love I I do thank Brad Pitt and I do thank Jack Palahniuk for writing Fight Club yeah because I say to my clients, what happens in Fight Club stays in Fight Club (laughs) the first rule of Fight Club is you don't say what goes on in Fight Club because the readings are usually so profound and so personal I don't want their lovers to hear them I don't want their mothers or fathers to hear them. I know what drugs they're taking. I know what they're doing in, in their spare time. Yeah. Okay.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, so well, I want to go back now because one of the questions I want to ask at the beginning, and because we, we, it's been so interesting, we're trying to keep the flow with it, but I really want to know now what is your backstory? What's your history with tarot? Uh, because I, I believe it, it goes back way beyond yourself
1: Oh look. Okay. Do you ask hard questions. You <laughs> really do make hard questions, darling. Okay. Hopefully let's, they're let's
2: entertaining
0: see. and interesting for people listening. I'm sure they are. Everything has been so far.
1: Okay, so I'm an adopted person. Okay. Okay. I've I've written on this. An adopted person means I yes I found out retrospectively and I've always known I was. Um and, yes, the family that I was adopted into, the, the woman who was the mother of the woman who called herself my mother, had been um, running the Rembrandt Hotel in King's Cross. She was from County Clare. And she read cards and tea leaves. And when my adopted mother pissed off my adopted father, it's so confusing, isn't it? In came Marion. And she moved into the house, and she started reading cards and tea leaves for people professionally. And she she had the back room, and she always did it. So from a very young age, from about eleven, um, this is not the only reason. From about eleven, was when she moved in. I had this. I never had a lack of. I never had this moment of of disbelief. I never never had that because she was always right. So there was that, and also at that one age, the age of eleven. I had two near-death experiences in the one year, one from drowning and one was from electrocution, or there actually were deaths and I had to be resuscitated. I had a dream I've remembered my entire life. I won book week of the year for the whole of Australia. And I had my first mystical awakenings all in the one year. There's a few other things, but that was the most profound. I had my first visitation from a peculiar phenomenon, a person in a long tails and a top hat in my doorway, <clears throat> when my bed was broken and my sister never woke up and sprung him. And, and the list goes on. So I started holding seances from when I was 13. And I was finding people that were missing. And right from the very beginning, 11, 12, 13, like you could say I was weird because this is what I did. I didn't know other people weren't the same. You get me? Mm-hmm. So... Come, I kept going. I had had my adolescent falling to pieces, which was traumatic, like you wouldn't believe, etc. But come out the other side of it, and I'm 19, 20, 21, and I've had my first initiation, which was the age of 17. By the time I'm 20, I've got my first son. I'm dabbling with tarot and I'm learning everything from um, Elias Levi and Franz Baden all the way through Madame Blavatsky and all that rubbish, because it is rubbish, rare to speak for me. <laughs> but that would be for another conversation. <clears throat> and dabbling with tarot. But I never thought that I wanted to do this. Okay. I've never really thought that I like people enough to want to be personally involved with them. And there was always the question that that there were no books in those days on tarot. He didn't have a book on tarot. So I never read a book on tarot. We just, the coven and I, we just experimented. And then just circumstances when I was 27, 28 arose. I, I was working for Harper and Row. I was setting up the computer system and putting people out of work in Sydney. But I'm still witchy, that's what I do. Um, and then my friend who was going around a place called Fortune Fair with her tarot, little tarot table, and her little tarot cloth and her tarot cards would read for the general public in plazas and for this group called Fortune Fair. And she was very sick and she, because I could come and go for my job whenever I wanted to, because in those days the computer and wizards of the world, which was moi then, were the elite, I could come and go as I pleased and still get shitloads of money. So I took that. she begged me and I took the time off to go to Westfield Plaza and set up my table to read tarot for people that I thought I'm never going to see them again as long as I live, this is ten bucks for ten minutes. Sit down. I'll tell you that your auntie Maud is going to die, that your marriage is going to fall to pieces, that you're going that you're developing arthritis in your left hand. I don't know what it was. I told them. But the second that was the first day, and then the second day, the 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 line was a mile long, and I didn't know what I'd done. Mm-hmm. And there was mainly Italian Greek community and some people who were from Croatia, etc. they brought interpreters. And by the end of the week, my box of money was so big <laughs> and people were asking me for my own, my private phone number. This is back in 1977, 1978. So I was giving out my private phone number, but I was living with my mother at the time in Chatswood and she didn't like the idea of total strangers coming to her house. So my son and I moved into the, the greenhouse down the road and I had to give up my day job. Okay. And then I moved to Victoria and they found me. And then I went to Ireland and they found me. Historian Ireland's hilarious. I told you that one.
0: Um, I remember, uh... It was 10 years ago I had my first reading with you, so it's, yeah, it's going back a while. I don't,
1: I don't remember. So I was just, I'd gone over there the second time, or the first time, on a whim, and because I knew Willie McElroy really well, from Byron, who's a musician, <clears throat> at the Wilds Dineers, and he said, lie, if you're in Ireland, go to Clifton. And through circumstances I won't even go into, I got very lost and very dis- disappointed, and I ended up in a little village called Roundstone, just up the road from Galway. And in the house of the madman, too big a story. It's in my my memoir. Um, The day I was with a friend who's an artist and I was writing the quickening and he was painting this strange amorphous creature and mix of different species, species. And he'd run out of black paint. And the day after We'd arrived and I'd managed to get the room in the madman's house. We walked up the main street of town and I knocked on a door at random. And I don't know whether you know Roundstone. It's one street.
0: I've been there and, a couple of times, yeah.
1: <clears throat> right, the, on, the, on the street away from the beach is just shops, but they're private houses. And I knocked on a door by just coincidence and was answered by Rosie McGovern. She's a teapot artist. She's a very well-known artist. <clears throat> in the background, I hear lie. And I go, who's that? And she said, it's Sheena. I said, who, who are you? I didn't know. Anyway, she, um, she had brought the band Lunasset out to Byron Bay in 1991. And I'd read her cards back then. And she said, did you bring your cards with you? And I said, yes, but I'm on holidays. And she said, I'll give you a meal if you read for me. And I said, I'll chuck you out three cards. That's all you get.
2: <laughs> she said,
1: okay. I went around to her place near the graveyard that night, met her partner and their, and their child. And I threw out three cards and it said car trouble. And she said, well, there's nothing wrong with my car. And I said, don't shoot the messenger. So the next day she was due to drive up to Belfast and catch a plane across to Manchester to watch the game. And I'm walking uptown to go for breakfast and there's two blokes under the hood of her car <clears throat> Sheena's standing there with her hands on her hip, and I'm going. <laughs> nee, 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 nee. So she didn't get to go, so we got to stay and hang out together and go to the Tour de Bog. So when the quickening was coming out, the Irish government paid for me to go back to Ireland and pre release it over there. And Sheena had arranged 50,000 tarot readings all the way up the west coast.
0: 50,000.
1: Something like that. I don't know whatever it was. I came home and my wallet was packed full of money, so much for Irish Catholics. I can't even begin to tell you (laughs) what a load of rubbish Uh, that is.
0: Mysticism is a big part of our uh, religion. It's a very
1: big part, yeah. Yeah. Um, And then I've moved from state to state, from city to city, and people will find you. Yeah. And the readings will change depending on everything. I mean, it saw the the, uh, the, um, bringing down of... Nine, then so nine eleven. It's just every major world event turns up. Yeah, what else?
0: What Ask else? Me something else. Uh, well, what else do you do? I mean, how long do we have for this question? <laughs> Guess you're obviously an author. You've written a hell of a lot of books.
1: <coughs> what a, I am, what I do. That's it. You can't differentiate yeah. it and put it in little sections.
0: Sure. Yeah, it's yeah. all an expression of who you are.
1: Well, but, well, at the beginning, I said I'm a mystic and a storyteller. So I've, yeah. I consider story to be the most important thing. Your story, I don't remember your story. I don't even remember you. that's, yeah, that's okay. fair enough. Sure Everybody's story is very different. And the capacity to be plastic or plasticine and, and merge and meld and get a hit, it, it's really important to be completely guileless and stupid as a reader. Yes. Yeah. Um, It's also really important and stupid to sort of look at what we're fed on a worldwide level, everything, politics through to religion, and question it. So mysticism is I'm a mystic. I question everything. I really, 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 really question everything. And some of the things that we do, we don't know why we do them until later do we until it's like you, you could never have been sitting anywhere other than where you're sitting right now talking to me. That's the greatest mystery of anything. And that you and I talking is fascinating because it's, it's like the butterfly effect. You don't know what it's going to cause to happen elsewhere yeah. because of the incredible livingness of the organism that we are as earth and we are earth yep. and the idea of destroying ourselves is silly. So this problem that we have with this little tiny mess that we're making that we'll clean up because we're earth. We might have another ice age, but we're still going to clean it up. Do you know what I mean? So it, yeah. it, the, there, there I, need to be... Back
0: to trauma, doesn't it? Like, I mean, are we going to have a great trauma that's going to shake us awake? And, you know, is it, are we going to have to... No, not? no. Okay. No,
1: not at atro- all. Okay, when you, have you heard of Olga of Kiev? No. No. Okay, you know of Genghis Khan. You, yeah. you know of, of, of Claudius. We could go on and on and on. People talk about Donald Trump like as if he's something unusual. He's not unusual. Mm, no, not at all. None of this is unusual. What's happening now is not unusual. Okay? The decimation of of what happened under Pol Pot. People talk about Hitler. What about Pol Pot? This has been going on nonstop. When we look at the Black Plague, when we look at the what the Christian invasions and the decimation that has done to every indigenous culture all over the world, this is the only thing we can, I think, fix as mystics. Is this is this compassion that I'm talking about that I mentioned earlier is to learn to do, to be compassionate and very often compassion means to throw away the structures that you felt gave you an identity as a mystic in the first place. Yes. Yeah. Because I can have a person sitting opposite me who's a, who's a really staunch Muslim. I can have a person sitting opposite me who was put into a, an arranged marriage. i I have got a person opposite me who's wondering whether or not to have an abortion. I have got a man sitting opposite me who's got who's got cancer i I've got these all the time. You can't think that you can heal this shit, yeah, but you've got arms to embrace people and 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 to be really honestly there for them. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. And sometimes I think
1: with nothing, with nothing to prove. And that's the most important thing. And it's also a fair exchange because they know they're going to come and pay me money. Yeah. Yeah. And then they know what they're getting because this technique is, I don't advertise. So this is all word of mouth. People know what they're coming. They know what they're in for Mm -hmm. and they do come scared and people sit down opposite me and they're shaking. And they don't think it's fear. They don't know what it is, but well, it's adrenaline rushing through their bodies. Okay. Because they're actually excited. Yeah. You know, and when they're not used to feeling excited without thinking that they're excited, their bodies are excited.
0: That's a trauma they, release.
1: Well, yeah, I don't even know that it's trauma. I mean, I don't really get a, get the word trauma.
0: It's 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 um it's a difficult one to get your head around because there's a certain association with the word trauma. So I trained in uh, trauma-release exercises. And one of the things we do is we we instigate that process of shaking in the body as a way of releasing all the adrenaline, all the cortisol, all the tension, all the stress that we hold on to. And so shaking is our natural response. And it happens across the animal kingdom. That's how we get rid of this. um, And that's why trauma in many ways is so important is because it helps us to get stronger. Yeah, but I, 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 um, I feel what you're saying in, in many ways is tarot, it just, it cuts through the lies and it just, it presents you with the truth.
1: Well, it, it, yeah, it represents, it's, it, that's a, it's a funny one because words, words again get in the way. The difference between truth and facts, I guess, because uh, truth has been a word that's sort of like thrown around a bit, isn't it? Um, like it's really to do with a plumb bob. And it's a, um, it's an architectural fact, <laughs> truth. It's like when a line's straight; it's true, isn't it? That's yeah. where the word. That's where yeah. the, etymologically the word comes from. Okay. Whereas when it's an actuality, it's an actuality can have all kinds of colours to it. Like if I was to say, "Here's a bouquet of flowers," that's an actuality. I'm not saying what the what the flowers are. Okay, and I and the the idea of a bouquet is means it's all put together in a bunch, but could it could be just a whole bunch of grass and willow and and oak leaves and, and depending on how you view it, okay, sort of thing. So each person's destiny is very different to every other person's destiny, and yes, you write about about trauma. I call it experience. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, because it's the difference between being a hot house. Person being a hothouse tree and, and a tree out in the forest, because that experience of really living well and experiencing the weather and experiencing sort of like um, the capacity for your roots to go very, very deep and, see, and seek nutriment from the depths that's what I consider to be living well. Mm-hmm. Because everybody who's been hothouse is going to die the minute they get out, put out in the garden, and like they're gone, you know. And people do want that, they want it easy. Yeah, you know, but I, I was watching the news tonight and Bangladesh, and just seeing what's happened over there with the fire, and going, we've got it easy for the moment. No, it may not it be our easy. destiny.
2: Yeah,
1: it may not be our destiny to <clears throat> stay that way. Anyway.
0: Okay. Uh, honestly, this has been wonderful. I've really, really enjoyed this chat. It's been great. Until how do people get in touch with you? What's the best way is a website is a Facebook. um, Where do they find your books?
1: Only the, the, the the website. This is tricky, isn't it? (laughs) This is tricky because, um, yeah, with the website, all the books are different. Like I like crossing genres. I don't like getting stuck in one genre. Okay. That is annoying. A lot of people, my sort of like claim to fame with, books came about because of the book witchcraft theory in practice that came out in the year 2000. And I just don't like it now. Okay. It's still one of the biggest sellers, but I don't like it because when you, if a person was to read it, they would really, they would read a religion into the work. Well, you see, that was because in those days I didn't know any better. Okay. And I've, I've since dropped through the rabbit hole and down and down and down into the sort of like very, very depth of going, that's a my, That's an invention. And going, what is there? And luckily, I've been able to sort of like find my own ancestry, which is really important. And so from from finding my own ancestry, I've got a story to tell. Um, That story, each person, I think this is the new Druidry, because most Druidry was invented in 1717 in a pub in England. You know that, don't you?
0: No, I didn't.
1: That's for another conversation. That's something else to
0: look into. Yeah, that's a good one. So two books I have here are witchcraft theory and practice and tarot theory and practice, but you're saying that you don't necessarily resonate with those books so much anymore.
1: Not at all, no. Yeah, okay. No, the, the best ones that I've written, are, you see, it's really interesting. The best ones that I've written are, the best one's Brittany. Brittany. Well, it's called, it's spelt P-R-I-T-E-N-I but it's pronounced Britain. Okay. Okay. Because of the way the Celtic mouth works. Yeah. We didn't know how to say a heavy B. We don't say S. We say sure. Mm-hmm. We don't say C for C, the letter C. We say K. there's a, our pronunciations are on the first vowel of a word. Not in the second one. You don't call Dylan Moran. Dylan Moran, do you?
0: No, oh, no, and no. That's the reason we say "torty train a turt is because there's no <laughs> H.
1: Well, you know no that.
0: Yeah.
1: No, it's actually because oh, there the Viking. No H
0: in the,
2: yeah.
1: It's because the no, it's because the Viking. Well, the word "dea," which is D-E-I-T-H-E in Irish, that, that's "dea," not "de," not "de," not "de," but because there was no invasions by the Vikings. Do you know what a thing is? Don't you? A thing. Do you know what a thing is? No. It's a gathering of warriors. Okay. That's what the word means. It's a Viking word. So the words with th in them. When I was in Galway, my friend Helen was saying, "I've got to go and get me toot fixed," and I'm saying, "You what?" She said, "Me toot. I've got a problem with me toot." And I'm going, "What are you saying, Helen?" She (laughs) said, "Me toot. You teet teet. Get it. What is wrong with you, lie?" And she was talking about getting a teat fix, which was going to happen. Okay. So that language is a very interesting one because you can tell who invaded who by the way that, by the way we speak. Yeah. You know, like it, with Cockney, they'll say bovet. They don't say th either.
0: No. It's a
1: really, oh, it's a really hard one. Yeah. It, and it just depends on who. Yeah. Yeah. So it depends on who was invaded and, and who sort of like stuck their middle fingers in the air. Like a lot of the Cockneys and Londoners would do because you had massive battles there for years yeah. you know, going into the 14th century, which is when sort of like it ended up going across to Ireland instead of in Britain,
2: of course.
0: Uh, so tell me, what is the
1: website? com.
0: Okay. And are you on Facebook?
1: And, yeah. The Lady Angeles author. Okay. Um, the, the website is productive insofar as there's a uh, little link in there called stories. Okay. And they were, they were, I put all my short stories and blogs and they're the ones that I maintain are where my current juice is coming from. Right. I'm currently writing an, another tarot book as well as I've just had another book released under snow on the 4th of August. And Under Snow is the third in the Traveller series. The Traveller series is based on my time spent outside of Dunray League, which is outside of Cork with a group of people, a group of Irish gypsies called "Unlook at a Shuler. Uh, and I got a, a lot of information from having stayed with them. And I've sat in it for ages. And when my daughter was going through a methamphetamine addiction withdrawal a few back in 2007, she doesn't mind me talking about this at all, by sure. the way. I got her involved in the writing process and together we wrote this story, which is quite, um, quite wild. in so far as what it does is it, it, shows how badly we remember things. Yeah. So people that are reading it by the time they get around to the next time Billy Shando's in the cop shop trying to explain how, what he witnessed the night of Aileen Wen's murder. One of the, one of my readers is coming back and says, I had just, didn't we just do this? Like, did did we? (laughs) And she said, I don't, I don't, I I know what's going on. It's like we're looking at the same memory from two different viewpoints, aren't we? And I said, well, memory's pretty weird. You know, the, the police don't use eyewitnesses anymore because two eyewitnesses to a crime can see two separate things.
0: Yeah. And they've proven that memory changes.
1: Memory
2: is yeah.
1: well. It's very. It's always changing. Yeah. And and we tend to have pictures that we claim as what we remember, and there might be a whole lot of other things in there. And that's exciting to write a book about that. Sure. So that was the third one. We had the quickening, and then the shining island now under snow, and then the fourth one, and that which is called the summer country is being written as we speak. So I'm I'm writing two more books.
2: And
0: so are there links uh, to buy the books on your website, or to where you can buy the books?
1: Um, it, All the books are mentioned there. Okay. But I've got a, I've got a, there's also a website that a buddy of mine is running called Lothbrook Sigurd. Okay. Sp- in a, in a, there we go. Are you ready? L O T H. Yeah. B R O K. Yeah. S I G. Yeah. U R D.
0: Okay. Is that your friend's but- name, Lothbrook Sigurd?
1: Lothbroxigood.com.au.
0: Lothbroxigood
1: okay. is my, is one of my ancestors. Okay. Yes, he's Ragnar Lothbrox.
0: Yeah. yeah. Of course. <laughs>
1: no shit, Sherlock. <laughs> yeah. And so what I do is pre- pre- present them to us. They can be sold in Australia because Australia, we cop the worst of it. Like my publishers, America, but we cop the worst of it here because we've got to pay through the nose to, to get them sent out from the States. So, yeah. So I get them, I I get them done cheaply here in Australia, which is lucky.
0: Awesome. Lai, thank you so much. It's been such a fascinating uh, talk we've had today. I'm sure everyone's going to love listening to it. I really appreciate you taking the time to to talk and to enlighten us today.
1: Thank you very much for having me
2: visit you in your, in your white house. (laughs) (laughs) Okay.